Welcome to Understanding the Law Radio, your business success and legal information station. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. Well, if you tuned in to this past Tuesday's podcast, you'll know that the theme of our show was video game lawsuits. And I gave a recap of some of my favorite video game lawsuits um, stemming all the way back from the 70s involving Nintendo and Atari. And I I think they're fascinating. And uh, if you haven't listened to that show, check it out. I mean, we talk about how, you know, that, um, that, that digital legal realm how it all started, and it really kind of started back with Pong, you know, that game from the 70s that uh, had little balls going back and forth, like table tennis, so check that one out. Now, carrying through this week with our theme of video games and video game-related legal information, we're going to be talking about legal video games. Yeah, I know, who would want to play a legal video game, right? But um, there are a few out there, and there's one in particular. And to help me today talk about this particular game is uh, my co-host for the, for the day, Brendan. Hi, Peter. Nice to be here. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Thank you. So you happen to know quite a lot about this particular legal video game. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. What's the name of the game? Wait a minute. Don't tell me. Is it Peter's Legal Trials? Uh, you're, you're close. Very, very close. Uh, The game we're going to be talking about today is the Ace Attorney series, which was very popular in the early 2000s. It's still around, but less so, I'd say. It's a legal-based video game where you play as a lawyer, and you have to solve cases and stuff. Lawyerly things? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, that's an old Capcom game, right? Mm -hmm, That's right. And the attorney's name is Phoenix Wright. Yes. Is that because he's always right? Uh, no, that is not why. Well, what we're going to do in today's show is we're going to talk a little bit about the video game and we're going to dissect it and figure out how much of the game is accurate, how much is not. You know, it's so funny because I remember before I went to law school hearing even college age kids talking about what a lawyer was like um, and then actually seeing what a lawyer does are completely two different things. There used to be this show on in the 80s, I think it was L.A. Law, and it it made it look pretty glamorous, you know, and um, while it's a good profession, it certainly is not L.A. Law, Uh, and so these video games, I think, kind of give kids a misconception. What what do you think, Brendan? Do you think it's uh, an accurate depiction from what you know of the real law? Well, I agree with what you said. I don't think it's very accurate at all. There's a, a lot of things that are wildly different, you know. It's a kind of like a completely made-up world. There's so many weird law things when you really look into it that just don't make any sense if it was in the real world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I think that uh, if you had a real-world lawyer game, I don't think it would sell because most of what lawyers do is talk on the phone, a lot of writing, and I don't think that makes for a good video game. I, I agree with that. All right, so we're going to talk about the first game in the series, and, and I... I haven't played all of them. I've seen them. Um, but there's more than one game, right? Yeah, there, there's six of them. And that's minus all the spinoff titles. There's so many. And there's an anime. And there's a whole bunch of books. So there's a lot to talk about. But we're only going to really talk about the first few. I love the lawyer's name, Phoenix Wright. I think that's so funny. Yeah. So 
tell me a little bit about the history of the game. Well, it came out um, early 2000s, and it was pretty popular very fast. It wasn't really like a, something that I was expected to do, and within a year or two, they made a second one, and then, you know, it just took off. It So many sequels, uh, really, really popular in Japan, and really popular over here, too. What, what is it, like a... a- a turn-by-turn game can you describe the gameplay yeah it's a it's a visual novel which is essentially like kind of like reading a book but in a game but the way it works is there's a ton of audio and visual things that really make it stand out you know you read the text and then you press the button to get some more text and you know it's like that it's not it's not boring though because you click on the screen where you want to search you know there's a whole lot you can do and and one of my favorite quotes from the game there it is, objection, right? So so every time he's in court and he objects to something, what does he do? He, uh, he says objection very loudly. Yeah, but he screams, he points, mm-hmm. and, and so we're going to talk about all that show. today. Yeah. A whole show. Yeah. All right, so why don't we start with some of the, uh, the most glaring discrepancies, if you will, between real-life law and the world of Phoenix Wright. All right, yeah, so here's one of the objection. things... I had to do that. That's so much fun. Go yeah, ahead. It totally is. Objection! Okay, go ahead. One of the main things is um, in the game, when you play as Phoenix Wright, uh, the court, the cases are separated into chapters. And in the beginning of each chapter, you find the defendant, and he hires you or she, and then you have to figure out the details of the case. So and it's a criminal, criminal game, yeah, right? Yeah, it's criminal law, yeah. And this is done by going over to the crime scene, walking around and picking things up, finding clues. Phoenix Wright acts almost like a detective. He walks through the crime scenes and, you know, picks things up, tampers with things, and he doesn't tell anybody. He just takes them. Uh, and it's, it's never talked about. It's never said that that's wrong or anything. Is, is that at all how the real world is? So it sounds like he's a, a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes character. Yeah, in a way he really is. So, first of all, you know, with respect to attorneys and investigation especially in in criminal law. Now, I'm not a criminal law attorney, but, you know, just from my general knowledge of it, um, you know, that's not something that that we attorneys do. I mean, when we investigate, whether it's a criminal case or a civil case, you're investigating facts, you're talking to people, you're certainly not going to crime scenes and picking up evidence and putting it in your pocket and, and walking away with it. You know, and it doesn't happen like Sherlock Holmes either. Like, if you are a fan of Sherlock Holmes and you've ever seen the... Uh, the newest show with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, you'll know that um, Scotland Yard oftentimes gives him excessive leeway. You've seen that show, right, Brendan? Yeah, absolutely. Great where, show. Yeah, where Sherlock Holmes would go in and he'd have some private time alone on the crime scene and then take whatever pieces of evidence he thinks would help him when he would touch things and tamper with things. That's not how it works in the real world. A, a crime scene is sealed off by... Uh, the police, and then the police detectives are the ones that go in, they, you know, look for forensic information, bullet shells, that sort of thing, and then they will tag things, they'll bag things. You're not allowed to go in there. Now, you know, in certain criminal cases, maybe an attorney, especially on the prosecution side, would go in and look at the scene, but they're not there picking up evidence and, and taking things and acting as detectives they have they have police detectives that are are doing that job so um 
if Phoenix Wright is in there being a detective, that's completely not what a lawyer does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I figured you'd said as much. Uh, here's another thing. In the actual court trials, the judge, he's a nice bearded old man. He's very kindly, but he is the ultimate decider of the case. There is no jury. It's just him. And if he feels that someone's guilty, then they're guilty. Uh, how, how realistic is that? Well, that's a good question because in, in a criminal law setting, you need to have a jury, right? That's, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you have a right to a jury as a criminal defendant. A judge is the decider of the law, not a decider of the facts. So, you know, in, in criminal cases where you have to have this heightened burden of proof, a, a judge can't decide that. Interestingly enough, though, in civil cases, you can opt to have a non-jury trial. So a lot of times um, monetary disputes or property disputes where maybe you know the issues are simple enough that you feel that you don't need a jury, you can have the judge serve as both, and he can be the ultimate decision maker. But the general rule of thumb is that a jury decides the facts and a judge decides the law. So... You know, in a case where you've got conflicting facts, you've got a he said, she said type of case, that's typically something that the jury decides. So in in Phoenix Wright's world, there's never a jury? Well, in one or two of the games, there is an instance where the jury comes into play, but most of the time there is no jury, it's just the judge. And uh, have you ever seen Phoenix Wright interfere with a jury? Uh, I have not. How about any of the other characters? Because that's another issue. There is an instance in the fourth game, I believe, where it's it's very confusing. And th- this game, they can get really into the the sci-fi and fi- fantasy aspects uh, really quickly. And so there is in the fourth game something where you're in the jury and there's like technology at play. But I really don't think that deserves to be dissected. Well, you mean you as the lawyer, you're in the jury? No, I I mean you as the player. There's a moment where they all look at you and you have to decide something. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, juries, you know, they're they're a funny thing too because a lot of times, you know, you get a a jury and most of the people, and we're talking realistically, most of the people don't want to be there. You know, they're losing time from work. um, They're losing money because you only get paid a certain amount to be on a jury. And, and sometimes they have no interest. It's, it's different in criminal cases, I think, where it's kind of like appealing because it's a, I don't know, it's got more of, a, more of an interest when you're dealing with like a murder or a crime. It's way less interesting when you're dealing with two businesses fighting over money or contracts. And so a lot of times you find jurors that just don't want to be there. And, and then there's always that one guy or girl, the foreman, who is so excited. It's like the best thing that's ever happened to them. And they have been waiting all their life to be on this jury. And they're the ones that are kind of leading the charge. And oftentimes, even though it's supposed to be a jury of your peers and fair, you might have a foreman that just says, hey, I think we should do this. And they're strong-willed and everybody just wants to go home. So sometimes they go along with them. Mm, That's very interesting. Uh, Here's another thing. So the word objection, I know that it's definitely used. Wait a minute. Objection! Yep, yep. It's definitely used. (laughs) In real life law, but in Ace Attorney, it's used in a a very specific way that I just have a hard time believing. So in the middle of court trials, as uh, Phoenix Wright is cross-examining a witness, as they 
describe what they saw. If he finds a statement they say that doesn't sound like it matches up with the facts, he'll pound his fist and he'll... Objection! Yep, exactly. Now, how, how realistic is that? Because I do know that objection is a word that's used, but in what context? Is that how you use it? No, never. Never. I mean, you, you're never, if you're cross-examining a witness, you're never yelling objection. First of all. You've never, you've never slammed your fist on the desk and pointed your finger at the judge? No, and, and my hair has never looked as good as Phoenix Wright's hair. So, no. Um, they're, they're, you, first of all, right, when you're making an objection, you're objecting typically to a piece of evidence or a question um, that's, that's being asked by the other lawyer. So, when you're at trial... The plaintiff is questioned first, right? And then the, the defense presents their case. And you get an opportunity on both sides to cross-examine witnesses. So if you're cross-examining a witness, and let's say you're asking a question that you shouldn't be asking, maybe it's procedurally incorrect or it's irrelevant or, or whatever, the other lawyer can say objection and then state the reason for the objection. You know, objection leading the witness or objection irrelevant or, um, you know, a, a objection, asked and answered, that sort of thing. Um, but it's the lawyer making the objection to the court, and then the court would rule on that objection. But you don't pound your fist, and you don't scream, and you don't jump up. I mean, I've seen it in, in, in movies, you know, uh, My Cousin Vinny, and, and that kind of stuff where the people, there's all these theatrics. And there's definitely some theatrics in certain um, legal cases, certain lawsuits. You know, obviously, if you think back to the O.J. Simpson trial, you know, if the, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. And, and that was a theatrical show. Um, but again, it was, it was mild, right? I mean, he didn't jump up and down and scream. We're talking about Johnny Cochran. Um, but I don't think any judge would... First of all, I think you'd scare the hell out of a judge if all of a sudden you stood up and screamed, you know, objection like Phoenix, Phoenix Wright. Objection! Like that. I think that would be a problem. Um, you know, you'd scare them and, and you know, they could have a heart attack and then, then you have a problem. So, no, that's not how it works. I think that would be very entertaining, though. It would be entertaining. Not for the judge, but yes. Uh, um, here's another thing that's kind of wacky. Um in a few of the games, you cross-examine some really strange people, some really crazy witnesses. For example, there's a pet parrot in one of the games. Oh, that's that's true. I've I've cross-examined parrots before. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah huh? Are they nice? They're they're, 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 they're very squawky. Ah, I see. <laughs> you just have to make sure you have crackers. <laughs> um, there's also someone on a walkie-talkie who you cross-examine. There's someone who speaks over a radio. Why are they on a walkie-talkie? Well, like I said, the game does dip into the fantasy aspects, and the reason they're on a walkie-talkie is because they're holding someone hostage, and they don't want to show their face. Well, that's a good reason. You know. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry, I can't come to court today. I'm holding somebody hostage, but I will call <laughs> in on my walkie-talkie. <laughs> yeah, and they found that acceptable, so... Of course. Yeah, obviously. You know, that that's probably straying a little bit uh, further from the truth than, than you would think, so... Now, the, I'm just curious. The guy that, that's holding the person hostage, is that part of the lawsuit? Well, yeah, it's a whole big to-do. Uh, he's a killer, but he's not the killer in the case, and he, he does play a part in it, yeah. So he's just a random killer that yeah, decides just, to be a witness. You know, yeah, just another killer. Be a walkie-talkie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that doesn't happen. So, 
obviously, look, when you have a witness, first of all, um, most of the time, 99% of the time, the witness must be present at the hearing. There are rare occasions where somebody might not be present. You know, so for example, if you're if you're really really sick, maybe the, the court would allow a video uh, testimony. Or obviously, if somebody has previously given testimony but now they're they're dead, um, some of that testimony can come in. But uh, I I don't ever recall. A situation where somebody called in via walkie-talkie, and especially not when they were holding somebody hostage, that would that would create an interesting scenario. But so, you know, you've got to be present. I mean, you when you're on trial, the judge wants to see the witnesses. He wants to have the ability to see them. The jury wants to see them if there is one. Um, and so, you don't want that walkie-talkie call-in feature. You know, it's interesting though now with COVID. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see how trials will play out uh, in the fall because we are using technology like Zoom and uh, Microsoft Meetings or whatever that's called um, to to, uh, to have a lot of these these hearings. And so that aspect of it's unique. It's not quite a walkie-talkie, but maybe it's uh, one step up from the walkie-talkie. Mm-hmm. Well, um, going from that, here's something even more crazy, and I want to know if it has any validity in the real world. Phoenix Wright's main partner and close friend is named Maya, and she is this spirit channeler person. She's got robes, and in the middle of cases, sometimes she does, in fact, channel spirits that, you know, talk to you uh, and whatnot. Is there any kind of spiritual witnesses or evidence (laughs) That goes on in the real world. Any kind of <laughs> spiritual things. Well, uh, aside from me saying a prayer every time uh, before I, I do something, no. Uh, so, you know, look, I've actually had some very, very strange cases with people that have been, um, I don't know, let's say contacted by otherworldly beings. Oh, of course. And No, but I mean, that's true. I mean, there have been people that, you know, well, I heard it from, uh, you know, a spirit. And <laughs> so, first of all, right, a lot of times, you know, you have uh, people saying, I heard it from somebody or I had a dream or a vision came to me, weird stuff. And then typically all that, that testimony is excluded because of hearsay. Um, but there is no such thing as spiritual uh, connection when you're on trial it mm-hmm. trial is extremely stressful I, I i wish there was some spiritual intervention that would be quite nice um but there are cases with fortune tellers there are cases with satanists there are cases with you name it but um at trial it's it's really focused on the facts and so uh, even cases where maybe religious or spiritual beliefs come into play you know, the focus is on the factual aspect of that. So I think you'd probably end up at least having some sort of mental evaluation if you walked into court and, you know, you as a lawyer said, uh, the spirits told me that I should ask this question. I have a feeling that they would want you to see the character and fitness committee to make sure that you were still functioning properly. (laughs) I figured as much. Um, The next topic is kind of a 
big one. So it's about the topic of double jeopardy, which is a real-life uh, law rule. And that's I'm right. That's to... when you watch Jeopardy two times in a row. Exactly. It is double jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to read you this kind of story, and I want to see how real it is. So in one of the cases, there were two crimes that took place at the same time. The murder of an old man and the thieving of the sacred urn. Luke Atme, the security guard, attempted to be convicted of being the thief because he was actually the killer. But in his mind, he said if he was proven to be the thief, since it took place at the same time as the killing, he would have an alibi due to the double jeopardy rule and wouldn't be able to be tried for murder. See, I, it sounds to me like this is the kind of guy that looks stuff up on Google and thinks all of a sudden that he's a lawyer. He probably also performs his own tonsillectomies. <laughs> um, no, this is completely wrong. So the fact that he was convicted of um, being a thief, stealing something, burglary, whatever it might be, that that's not double jeopardy. I mean, he's committed two crimes, and he can be charged for both of those crimes. Double jeopardy is when you are... You know, let, let's say you go to trial for a murder and you are acquitted. And then later on, they potentially find some new witness or, or whatever. That's double jeopardy. You can't be tried twice for the same crime. But what you're describing is a guy who is completely misguided thinking that, I mean, just think about that for a minute. So if you were going to go plan on murdering somebody, You'd murder them, and then you'd steal a candy bar at the same time so that you could be convicted of the, uh, the candy bar thievery and avoid murder. So in that instance, Phoenix Wright has it very, very, very wrong. <laughs> um, well, in that same case, there's even more. So your client, Ron, is uh, proven innocent in the first trial about being the thief and is then proven innocent in the murder trial. During the murder trial, he's proven to be the actual thief. They find evidence and it turns out, oh, he was the thief. Your client was the thief. But through the rule of double, double jeopardy, he can't be tried again for that. Is that accurate? Well, kind of. I mean, it really depends on the scenario. So typically, you know, if, if new evidence comes to light during a trial that was not available beforehand you know you as the attorney you can make an application to the court and and have discussions about this new evidence um you know because that's that's different than what double jeopardy is double jeopardy again is if you've conducted a full investigation you've held a full trial and then you've been acquitted by you know a jury based on those facts you, you can't go back and you know, be tried again for the same thing. But new evidence coming up, that's that's a different story. I mean, it's possible that, you know, when you're you're seeking the truth in a judicial hearing, um, that new evidence that comes to light might be admissible. But it's always on a case-by-case basis. And that also raises, I, I think, another topic, which is uh, when you as a lawyer have to produce evidence and there's something in Phoenix right about that too, right? Like surprising your witness. Yes. So this is one of the two uh, 
other topics I have here. Surprise evidence. Uh, many times, evidence is held from either the defense or the prosecution. Phoenix Wright constantly holds back crucial pieces of evidence that he pulls out at the exact moment in court when you know stick it to him. Uh, and the prosecutor, Miles Edgeworth, in the first game, constantly does the same thing. You know, you'll say, I've proven that he can't be there at this time. And then he'll say, actually, if you look at this updated autopsy report, that's not true at all. And you never have this stuff. He withholds it from you so he can surprise you in court. Can that happen? <laughs> does that answer your question? Uh, I feel like it probably does. No, no, you can. I mean, the whole, the whole, there's, there's a whole discovery rule in lawsuits where you have a period of time where you are free to investigate and you investigate not by tampering with crime scenes, but by taking depositions of witnesses and witness statements and uh, examining reports and documents that might be relevant, that might have time uh, stamps on them or things that, that would place people at, at the scene of a crime or develop motivation for a crime. And in civil cases, you know, if you're examining certain facts about, let's say, a business dispute, maybe you're going to be interviewing partners and then taking their depositions and, and uh, employees and that sort of thing. But the rule is that there is no surprising that can go on at trial. If you haven't disclosed documents to your adversary during the course of the proceeding, and, and when I say proceeding, I'm talking about prior to trial, you can all of a sudden pull that out. You know, that's obviously unfair, and, and the rule in court is that you've got to be fair. They, they want everyone on a level playing field so that these disputes can be resolved, you know, clearly on their merits, not because somebody has surprised somebody at trial. Um, I, I would even go back to say that it's quite questionable in uh, Miracle on 34th Street, whether or not that lawyer would have been permitted. Now, it was a different hearing because it was a competency hearing, but would he have been permitted to bring in the letters from children to Santa to exonerate or to prove uh, the existence of Santa? That's that's a questionable thing. Now, again, that, that movie was was way older and the rules were different back then, but especially in civil and criminal litigation in today's world, you can't surprise your adversary with documents. You can't withhold that. I mean, if somebody did that, the other attorney would immediately object and then they would try to ban that information from you know, being entered into evidence. So the, the general rule is that you can never surprise somebody with evidence that you've withheld. You've, you've got you or withheld. You've got to be able to produce that. Mm-hmm. Um, during the course of the discovery so that the opposing counsel has an adequate opportunity to investigate what you're producing. You know, talk to witnesses about that. So, for example, let's say you pull out a statement that says, um, I don't know, uh, I I gave John $400,000 to kill Sally. Mm -hmm. You would want to have an opportunity to interview the person that wrote that letter. And, you know, authenticate that letter so that you don't run into a situation where it's just it's false evidence. Right. Because especially in criminal trials, I mean, you're dealing with 
don't want to say life and death because it's not always the death penalty, but you're dealing with somebody's life, you know, whether or not they go to jail, don't go to jail. So that's a serious thing. So you would never want to, you know, allow someone to spring something on you like that. And, and the courts don't do that. So that is wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, there is one more thing uh, I think we should discuss, and that is in Ace Attorney, there is a little bit of a lore they sprinkled in the beginning that not too many people caught, but the way it works is it's a three-day trial system. They wanted to speed up the process because there's so many trials that they made it so that if the person is not declared innocent within the three days, they go to jail, and that's it. It's three days, and there has to be some kind of solution reached within those three days. So basically they're guilty until proven innocent in yeah, this game? that's how it works. That is how it works. Man, oh man, this is some game. So, no, first of all, you're innocent until proven guilty, and it's the prosecution that has the burden of, of proving conclusively, you know, beyond a, a shadow of a doubt, which is the standard that that person is guilty of a crime. So you're innocent in, in at least in, um, you know, United States law, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. So again, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. They have to show uh, conclusively that you are guilty of the crime. Mm-hmm. Second, as far as there's a couple things at play here. First of all, I mean, the court system is backlogged for sure. And, and no matter whether it's civil or criminal, you typically run up against situations where trials are postponed or judges are overwhelmed because, you know, our judicial system, it's the best that we have, but it's not certainly not perfect. And especially now with, with what's been going on in 2020 with COVID, the trials have been postponed and everything is backed up and it's just, it's kind of a nightmare. So in the sense that the the game wants to speed up the trial process. I get that. Of course, that's probably for gameplay. Um, mm-hmm. But in the real world, there's always people in the courts trying to come up with more efficient ways of handling trials and, and litigation matters so that you can more rapidly go through them so it doesn't take so much time. But as for a three-day requirement, that there's no such thing. Because if, if you've got a ton of witnesses and your trial might last a month, then so be it. So setting time limits for the trial, it doesn't work like that. And, and especially saying you've got three days to prove that you're innocent, otherwise you're going to jail. That's definitely not how it works. So that's, that's not accurate in the not least. Not at all. Not at all. Well... There's a a lot about Phoenix Wright that appears to be completely wrong. But, you know, in general, I knew nothing about the law before I played the game. And, yeah, there's a lot of misinformation in the game, but it is kind of a general introduction to the topic. You know, there's defense attorneys and try to prove your client innocent, and that's pretty much the basics. And, I mean, I I feel like that much is true. Now, I feel if you're an ace attorney master don't think you're ready to go defend yourself in court, right? But, you know, I do think that it's an interesting, you know, an interesting look. And never do they claim that it's supposed to be realistic. It's a fictional world that's kind of a cross between Japanese and American culture. 
And so, you know, I think that if anything, it's important to not base your understanding of the law off of something like, like a video Wright. game. Yeah, like a Phoenix Wright game. I, I think it's interesting because really when 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 you've been practicing law as long as I have, it's it's hard to see how you could make a video game out of what we do. But I think that you're right. I mean, you can't take a video game seriously. It's not, um, it's not law school. It's not practicing law. It's just fun. And so, I, I mean, that's like, that's like saying that, you know, we sports, you play the bowling game and suddenly you're a bowling legend. I'm, I am a bowling legend on that, by the way, <laughs> but not in real life. But you know, that, that counts for something, but no, you're right. I think that you got to take it with a grain of salt. And I think that most people do because it is, it, it's a crazy game. It's crazy, it's fun, and it's the only way that you could make a law game fun. Mm-hmm. I know that there's other games like Harvey Birdman that sort of, and that's also by Capcom, and they kind of just copied Ace Attorney's style for that game too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I've been playing video games since they came out, since Atari, and uh, I don't remember any game that was based on the law other than Phoenix Wright that was really popular. And I don't think there are that many. I mean, there's some, like there's a Sherlock Holmes game, but that's not, that's not legal based per se. Right. You know, he was being Sherlock Holmes. And, and so Ace Attorney is really, at least as far as I know, the, the most well-known lawyer game. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to make a game out of something that's really not, you know, as exciting as they make it out to be. It's not a terrible job or anything, but it's not super blood pumping action every day. No, it is not. I mean, and it's, you know, it's not that kind of blood pumping. I mean, I don't have spirits talking to me mm-hmm. and I'm not standing up yelling objection and um, it doesn't work like that, but it's still, it's a fun game. But I think it's, it's fun to see how the law has had an impact on everything. It's, it's just part of our culture and the, the same with video games, right? Video games have really become um, a mainstay in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of kids today, even adults, but a lot of kids would rather be playing video games. So um, the Tuesday podcast where we were talking about those lawsuits, I think it's interesting because you can see how the law developed around technology and then technology developed around the law um, and and here in this video game, you've got a, a technology-based video game that mm-hmm. has taken from the law. So it kind of, it's this weird circle. Yeah, it's come full circle, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know in the future if we're going to see a ton of video games that are lawyer-based. I think it's uh, it's complicated. And it certainly isn't even something that, uh, you know, you could say to a high school mock trial team, hey, why don't you guys all practice on Ace Attorney? Because it's so far-fetched and so out there. It's fun, but it really has nothing to do with the law. Although, like I said, I do wish I had his hair. That is quite... I'm sure we could find a wig and, you know, you could always wear the right colored suit. I could, the Phoenix right colored suit. That's right. With the hair. So, yeah, but, but, you know, I, I think that video games are... Like I'm, I know I'm older, but I think video games are awesome. I think that they are fun, and I think that um, they you know, they're not going to go away. I mean, that's just the bottom line. As much as some parents wish they would, other parents are thrilled that they have them to give uh, themselves a little bit of peace. But as far as the 
the law in video games, I think what we're going to see in the future is a lot more litigation over video games. There's obviously the current battle between Apple and Fortnite or Epic Games. And so I think video games are, are just going to um, be the topic of litigation for years and years to come, and we'll be able to follow those stories. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see if, if there's any other video games that, that stem from it. But from what you're describing, even the sixth game of this series, they must have run out of legal topics. Yeah, uh, they. I feel like they did. The sixth game was all about channeling the spirits, you know, all in. There was a pool in the middle of the courtroom that you look into to see the final moments of the victim. There was a, a tribe of, you know, spirit channelers, and they all communicated. Uh, the girl could now transform into the dead person who would tell you their last moments and what they saw. Wow. Well, yeah, that would be convenient. That would be. You know, I also think, though, that as technology advances, you know, video games aren't a static entity. They are constantly evolving. You know, if you look at the things that we've gotten in recent years, like virtual reality and augmented reality, I think that we can't, you know, rule out the possibility of more law games in the future. Because, while what we have right now doesn't really, you know, the idea of playing a lawyer game isn't super fun. You never know. We've got virtual reality and things like mundane tasks become fun because you're doing them in a virtual world with no consequences. Well, that's that's true because Rick Phoenix, right, is you're reading text and then you're clicking buttons to, to select choices. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's, that's probably true because if you have a virtual or augmented reality style game where, you know, if it's a surgeon game and you've got virtual reality where you're actually performing the surgery, mm -hmm. you know, that could be entertaining. As a matter of fact, I know that a lot of... of uh, surgeons and, and hospitals are trying to uh, develop and purchase augmented and virtual reality training programs for their doctors. So, I mean, I could see where maybe you would have an augmented reality or virtual reality law-based game. And I wonder how, you know, how much fun that would be if it really stuck to realism as opposed to the spirit world. Well, I do think if you were able to extend your arm in virtual world and shout objection, it would be a little bit more fun. That would be fun. That would actually be very fun. Mm -hmm. And then I could have hair, too. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Brendan, thanks for being on the show. And, and obviously, you know a lot about Phoenix Wright. And I think it was uh, a, an interesting topic. And so now I'll, everyone go out and play Phoenix Wright so you can see how Phoenix wrong the entire game is. <laughs> um, but that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank you all for listening and i want to make sure that uh, you know you're sharing the podcast with your friends family and colleagues let them know about utl radio don't forget to subscribe on itunes or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts and uh, make sure you check out past episodes that's going to do it i'll see you next time thank you for listening to understanding the law radio make sure you follow peter on twitter instagram and facebook and stay tuned for future episodes